Hello, and welcome to the Sound Up Seattle podcast. I'm your host, Tyler Cartwright, joined, as always, by my co-host... John Carey. And we are sitting at the same table today. It feels great to be back. Oh, so tired of staring at each other from across the room. No more. <laughs> Give the people what they want. Well, we've got a, a full slate today, and... An exciting day. One of, I think, our more well-rounded days in terms of sports in a while. We're going to talk college football. Turns out the Pac-12, though dying, is not quite dead. Uh, we're then going to touch on our horrendous predictions for uh, week one of the NFL season and finish with some talk on the ascendant, descendant, Mariners. Who's to say? But first, a little coyote picnic. John, I'm going to give it to you. UW did not win by over 34 points. Ha, ha, ha. Sweet, sweet victory. Does it feel oh so good? Um, so UW comes out on top this this week, playing against Tulsa on uh, Saturday, uh, what is that, the 9th? And they win 43-10. to 10. It's a pretty, pretty decisive victory there with uh, Michael Penix Jr. throwing for three touchdowns and one interception. Um, Can I also just state the win by 33 points? Vegas. God damn. They just know. Remaining undefeated. How? How do you get it that close? I don't understand. Uh, I mean, maybe... Uh, yeah, I have no idea. I, I was going to try and say something witty, but I have no clue. <laughs> <laughs> Leave the witty banter to me. But all around, a pretty fantastic weekend for the Pac-12. As far as I know, the Pac-12 remains undefeated. Uh, in FBS play. Oh, no, no. Stanford lost to USC. So there is a one loss so far in the Pac-12. Um, and eight of the 12 are now ranked in the top 25. Going down the list, we have USC at five, UW at eight, Utah 12, Oregon 13, Oregon State 16, Colorado 18, Washington State 23, and UCLA 24. Oh, my goodness. So much talent. Why are they even breaking up in the first place, man? It's like the band getting back together for that one last tour. And, yeah, it pisses you off because you just want them to stay together. But uh, I'm glad they're on tour this one last time. Yeah, fun weekend. Uh, the only loss in the 12 coming from a little interleague play. So a guaranteed loss written in there. Um, and it was pretty impressive. Uh, I guess the ones worthy of note, Oregon beat... A&M, if I'm remembering correctly. That sounds right. No, Texas Tech. Texas Tech. Um, Some Texas team. And they actually came back to win. They were down nine going into the fourth quarter and ended up winning 38-30. Bo Nix, pretty solid in that one. Um, and then the other big one would have been Washington State, upsetting number 19 Wisconsin, 31-22 in Pullman. Love Washington State getting that Wisconsin game in Pullman. Classic Washington State. Um and then the rest were, were pretty decisive. But mm, one one more note was Utah was down seven with like two and a half minutes left in their game, and they ended up on top, I believe. Good call. Good call. Um, so good clutch play from the pack, as well as some dominant performances, notably by UW, Stanford, and, and Oregon State. Whew, Oregon State. Fun fact on the Oregon State game. You know, we know we have a soft spot. They won 55-7. They scored really? seven touchdowns. And their leading passer threw for 107 yards. Um, what did they do? <laughs> everything. Uh, yeah, and then I guess one more just kind of overarching note. We're going to keep our, our ear to the Heisman whispering until it's out of reach. But Penix had an awesome game. He threw for 406 and three touchdowns. Um, and Caleb Williams only threw for 281 yards and three touchdowns. And you're thinking to yourself, hey, look at that right there. Penix outplayed him. Don't focus on the fact that Caleb Williams only played half of the game, okay? <laughs> Do not focus on that his projected was 560 yards and six touchdowns. <laughs> um, yeah, that's one of those games we'll just need the voters to uh, 
forget the context of when they're looking at the total stats. They're just, yeah, they're just yeah. going to need the stats. Yeah, just just get the stats. So a win for Penix in the stats. <laughs> um, I want to talk about some other notes. Specifically, the two... Actually, the three main UW receivers have been amazing this year. Jalen McMillan currently has 16 receptions for 215 yards and three touchdowns. Mm. He's on pace to score, what is that, 12 touchdowns over the course of the of the season, along with over 1,000 yards. That'd be nice. We got Romeo Dunze, who's got 14 receptions for 239 yards and two touchdowns. He's also on pace to go over 1,000 yards and, and over, 12 over 12 touchdowns. Can I get these guys on my fantasy team? <laughs> And then our, our third receiver in terms of yardage is Jalen Polk, who kind of came in, he's a sophomore, he came in, not a lot of talk about him, but Bang. eight receptions for 182 yards and a touchdown. Like, he's been, he has the most in terms of average yards per catch, mm. and he's just been a great deep ball threat and just like a really steady wide receiver three on this UW team. I think we might have the best wide receiving core in, uh, in all of college football. That is really interesting because... Every other team has some sort of question mark in terms of, you know, USC, how much of that credit goes to Williams. Ohio State, obviously, Marvin Harrison Jr. is a monster, but who's their second best guy? Who's their third best guy? Yeah, air raid offense, man. But yeah, I wonder how much of that credit goes to Penix and his ability to air it out. But uh, he, I think I think a lot of it goes to the offensive coordinator too, because like yeah. Penix is a good quarterback, and you know we're obviously pulling for him to get the Heisman and everything. But we saw him at Indiana. He's he's limited. Yeah, you know? he's not he's not an everything guy. Um, so I, I really think these receivers are are going to be very good for a very long time. I'll give I'll give him that. Um, do you want to talk? I just want to really quickly talk about the Pac-12, and why do we think they're doing well? Do you have any thoughts on that? Um, <laughs> I don't think it has anything to do with the fact that the Pac-12 is dissolving. I don't think <laughs> any of these players really care. Most of that is uh, past their time and over their heads. Um, I think it's just, to a certain degree, uh, kind of a water-finding-its-level situation where the Pac-12 always gets a lot of talent. Um I guess, let me back up a little bit. The main reason the Pac-12 is doing this well is because they have three of the four or five best quarterbacks in college football. I think three of the four projected uh, first four quarterbacks taken for next year's draft are in the Pac-12. Bonix, Penix, and Caleb Williams Mm -hmm. are all in the Pac. So the the main reason that the 12 is top-heavy is because of quarterback play. Um... But in terms of just, you know, everything overall, you know, it's Pac-12. We get lots of talents, pretty well distributed. I'm amazed. This is this is the deepest the Pac-12 has looked in many years in terms of, you know, Oregon State. We thought Oregon State might be like the third best team in the conference. And they could also be the eighth best team in the conference, and it wouldn't be a huge surprise to anybody. So, um, yeah, it's pretty cool. Just worth a note, too, that... This tends to happen every couple of years. The Pac-12 gets off to a monstrous start and then can crumble as the season goes on. Not this year, but uh, but it has happened before. Well, I think I think what we're seeing is and, okay. First of all, the Pac-12 always crumbles because it's always so equally spread out. It's not like the SEC where Alabama Correct. and Georgia win every single game. And Oregon no State's going to beat UW, but yeah, you know, at Oregon State, and it's going to screw everything. Wazoo's going to beat USC. It's going to be just a shit show, and nobody's going to make the playoff because we're all so evenly matched. Mm. Uh, let me give you my reason or why I think that the Pac-12 is so good. Football has caught up to where the Pac-12 has been. Football in college for the last two decades for the last 60 years was all about running the football and getting just like yards on the ground it used to be when UW was good they had one of the best running backs and they could get three yards every single time they ran the football now it's hard to do that there's also just running backs aren't as good and wide receivers have gotten a lot better west coast offense west coast offense has come back and now we have all these good quarterbacks like you're saying but also it's just all the other schools and all these other programs have been have adapted to what the West Coast has been doing for the last decade. And I think we're seeing that huge change right now. And that's really interesting, too, because if you look at uh, the dynasties in college football over the last decade, um, you could see that change happening in real time where 
those Alabama dynasties, with the exception of some great play by Jalen Hurts and Tua Tungavailoa, particularly in the mid-2010s, you think about the running backs first. You think about, you know, Derrick Henry and Trent Richardson and all those guys, just the stud RB1s at Alabama. Was Najee Harris an Alabama guy, too? Absolutely. They all were. Yeah. If it's a starting running back in the NFL, there's like a 70% chance he played at Alabama. And it was, it was an every-year thing where the guy behind the guy who's starting, you know he's going to be great next year, and then yeah. he's great next year, and he gets taken in the first round. They were a dynasty of defense and running backs. Um, and then Clemson was a little bit of both. They would always have the really elite quarterback, but they always had a good run game there, too, and, and a really high-end defense. And then when you think about Georgia and what they've done recently, obviously defense first. They have had far and away the best defense in college football. But they have primarily been a passing offense. They yeah. can run the ball. Stetson Bennett was, was amazing when they won it. Stetson was awesome, but they also they had deep receiving and a particularly tight end groups. Um, and they would just keep moving the chains, keep moving the chains through the air as opposed to on the ground. When I think of Georgia's offense, I think of passing plays more than running plays, which you could certainly never say about Alabama. So, yeah, I do think you're right in that regard. Um, <laughs> and I like your phrasing of it. That like, oh, now we're good because everyone else has caught up to us. <laughs> In a way, we were already better. They just didn't know it yet. <laughs> I think UW started this when when we were in school, or yeah, when I was at UW, it was like Jake Browning, and he was just airing the ball out left and right, and we would score seventy points a game until we played Alabama, and they were way bigger and way faster than us. And now they're uh, trying to do what we're doing, and they can't. Their quarterback sucks. Yeah, because. Because Saban's washed. Um, yeah, that Alabama game, that was tough. Um, truly just a size issue. If we would have cut them all off at the knees to equalize the weight, we would have kicked their butts. Um, yeah, but so far, great start to the year for the pack. Um, yeah, UW at 8, USC at 5. That's going to be a matchup for the ages in a few weeks. I was going to say, it just makes you more and more excited for that matchup. And so, so hopeful that what you said doesn't come to pass. Because you're so right. That always happens. Nobody, No conference is better than the Pac-12 at cutting down their best teams at the knees. Um, so stop it, you guys. Oregon State, Washington State. <laughs> we know you're out for revenge. Yeah, Colorado, <laughs> quit it. <laughs> you can beat each other up, but leave UW and USC alone so we can get the potential Heisman matchup that we all want. Um, I guess, yeah, we should also just mention Colorado. Um, Colorado's been good and exciting. Yeah, we you know we can't talk about the Pac-12 and its play without talking about Colorado. Uh, they beat Nebraska, who was not supposed to be very good, uh, 36-14. Uh, Sand- Shador Sanders had 390 and two tutties. Um, and they were very solid. Again, slow start, but they finished really strong. 36 points in the last three quarters. Um, I like Dion. I like him in college football. If yeah. he was a professional coach, oh, I think he would drive me so crazy. But at the college level, I love it. Especially, I think he's like tailor-made for a school like Colorado, where he can kind of, he can wear like all white and, and you know, just kind of like do the Dion Sanders thing. Yeah. But still at a program that's got some actual weight behind it. I think if he went any higher in the FBS, which we'll probably see. I, he's been doing great, so there's no reason to expect he won't get a better job. Yeah. But if he goes any higher, he might find the fan base is a little too uh, prudish for for some of his more you know out- outlandish behavior. Yeah, but, I also think other fan bases can be more volatile. Yeah. Like obviously, the strong start is great for him and great for the experience in Colorado. Oh, Colorado fans are happy to be there. Yeah, but they're like, if, if it starts to go south, it'll be okay. Like, he's, nobody's worried about it. <laughs> they're in Colorado. They've all been smoking weed since, like, 8 a.m. They're all they're all feeling good. No, you're right. And they were awful last year. They were last or second to last in the Pac-12. Yeah. So they could be 0-2 right now and still be considered a success. The fact that they're 2-0, the fact that they're ranked 22nd in the country... Um, they could lose every game the rest of the season, and his job would be secure if he wants to stay there. Um, that will be very interesting. I'm curious to see, particularly if their success continues. I, you know, they're going to lose at some point. They're a great team, but they're not. They don't have the top end talent. I mean, yeah, they're going to play Oregon. They're going to play Oregon State, and they they're, they're always good Pac-12 teams. Yeah, they could even win a couple of those, but you know, they're not going undefeated. Um, 
it would be interesting to see if he chooses to stay there and kind of have it be the Dion program or whether he'd want to uh, elevate to the next level. Very interesting. And Sanders, uh, his son, awesome, really good. Whenever you hear that a quarterback's uh, father is the head coach, you'd think that there's some pretty heavy nepotism going on. And there may be, but he is a talented quarterback. Um, and from everything I've heard, a real NFL prospect in terms of size. Believe it or not, Deion Sanders' son is lengthy and athletic. <laughs> um, and a good decision maker. So it'd be cool uh, if he got a chance at the pro level as well. Yeah. Um, I guess with that, we'll also talk a little bit about the OSU and Wazoo uh, filing for, what is it, control of the Pac-12's future. Um, We saw that, and as much as we want to talk about it, I feel like there's a lot of lingo and things going on there that's going to develop over the next couple weeks. Yeah, it is an ongoing thing, and to be honest, a little bit over our heads, but essentially... They are doing everything they can. First of all, I love this. Um, I love that Washington State and Oregon State, probably the two teams that most epitomize like that second tier of the Pac-12, where yeah. there's like the top like six or eight, and then it's it's Oregon State and Washington State. You know, both the smaller school in their state, but both both get at least one big win every year and screw somebody over. Yep. Um, we both know a lot of Beavers and a lot of a lot of Cougars. And they're really doing everything in their power to keep themselves and the Pac-12 in one piece. And they've been pursuing basically everything they can. They've been trying to entice teams that are leaving to come back. They've been trying to convince teams in other conferences to come and join the Pac-12. They're fighting to secure uh, TV money that the Pac-12 had already been promised and trying to secure a larger portion of that. yeah, a little tooth and nail, but we don't know everything. But what were you going to say about this current process? Uh, I was just going to – let me just read this this first paragraph from uh, Pete, Pete Thamel's article on ESPN. I'm just – I'm sorry if I butchered that name. but You are plagiarizing. <laughs> That's why you got to give him credit. <laughs> it's called good journalism, John. That's citing <laughs> sources. Um, first paragraph just says, Oregon State and Washington State filed a legal complaint against the Pac-12 and Commissioner – George Klyevkov on Friday seeking an emergency temporary restraining order to protect what the schools see as an imminent and existential threat to the future of the conference. Nice. Okay, so that's not... The way I had understood it was that they were targeting the teams that are leaving, but it sounds like that is not the case. They are targeting the Pac-12 itself. They're probably trying to, you know, get some sort of power structure reorganized there mm-hmm. that better suits their interests. Because it sounds like maybe the commissioner of the Pac-12 is kind of just like, eh, <laughs> this sucks. <laughs> um, and if they're the only two teams left, then I think they should be able to kind of dictate terms on who. If they are the Pac-12, then they have the right to, you know, say who the commissioner is. So, um, good for them. Yeah. I hope they find success. Yeah. Further dialogue has basically just been like, there's a meeting between all the 12 uh, members for the schools, and that was happening on Wednesday of last week. So that was, I don't know, what was that, September? Or I guess that's supposed to be this Wednesday, now that I think about it. Um, so that's September 13th. But that is, they wanted to be canceled because these 10 other teams are going to be leaving the Pac-12, and they don't want those teams to be part of the decisions for the future of their conference. Is basically how they're how they're putting it. And so they're putting a restraining order together to keep these other teams away from the decisions for the future of the Pac, um, which is fair. And I think very good in their in their rights to just keep things within themselves instead of trying to let you know UW Oregon and those teams that are leaving make those decisions. Yeah, because that's no longer their decision to make. Yeah, agreed, agreed. So um, all, all power to uh, to Oregon State and Wazoo. I think that's a great move by them. Truth. They should rename it the Pac-2 immediately. <laughs> um, yeah, I think that's, that's 20 minutes on college football. I guess one last note on my part is next week, UW, Michigan State. Michigan State's 2-0. They're not ranked, but they are a solid team. It is in Michigan. Going to be cold weather up there. I guess potentially not, but we'll see. They're a good team. Yeah, their quarterback, no interceptions so far on the year, so he's pretty sharp. Um, that'll be a big game. Biggest lines, game so far. Line's 16.5 in favor of UW? 14.5 is 14 what I'm saying right now. 
Yeah, well, I mean, last year Michigan State was ranked and UW was not, and we hosted them and beat them. And so this is kind of the reverse situation. Um, it's tough to say. I haven't followed along with Michigan State's record so far. But I do think our offense will be totally fine. It'll be our first game away from home, which could be a little concerning in terms of just the, the pressure has changed a little bit. Um, but I see I see little to no outcome that uh, would would lead to you know, loss there. I agree with you. Yeah, they've they've played their two wins pretty soft. They've played Richmond and Central Michigan, so we can get basically nothing from those two wins. Um, but yeah, it, it'll be a big game. It's a big game yeah. for both teams. It's in Michigan, huge stadium. Fans are going to be going crazy. Fourteen and a half is a big line. It's the um, future rivalry, right? They're Big Ten. Correct. Exactly. Exactly. They're sizing each other up. Yeah. This that might be that might be Washington's only Big Ten game this season. Well, um, it has to be because after that they play pack pack twelve teams. All pack. So this is their one chance to let the Big Ten know what they're about before. Uh, moving into the dorms next year so uh yeah with that being said 14 and a half is a lot of points so that's saying that UW could win by two full touchdowns and still lose the bet I think I think Michigan State's tough I think Big Ten football is very different from Boise State and Tulsa in terms of size and speed um I'm gonna go with Michigan State plus 14 and a half UW to win I, yeah, I, I I agree with you. I take those points. I think it's going to be like. Of course you do. I'm two and zero. Got to got to ride the ride the winning horse. I'm not going to say anything because <laughs> I, I yeah we're not going to say anything about that. Um, but I think it's going to be like a thirty thirty to twenty game. Like it's going to be semi close, but we're going to be two scores out by the by the time the game's over. Yeah, I see something like that. Pulling away in the second half. Yep. I would not be surprised to see us like down 7-0 and have to kind of dig our way out. And the last thing you want if you're down 7-0 is a 14.5 point spread to worry about. All right. That's enough college football. Uh, let's move on to the pros. And uh, We're just going to keep keep moving, keep chugging along. It's what we do here. It's what we do. And I guess we should probably start with an apology. <laughs> <laughs> because we... <laughs> We had a lot of thoughts about this Seahawks team. What did I tell you? I said plus five and a half for the Rams and the under. You did say that. Um, and the under just hit. Goodness gracious. So thir- the Los Angeles Rams beat the Seattle Seahawks 30-13. to 13. The over-under was 44. Vegas. <laughs> Amazing. Amazing. How do they set such a bad line but such a good over-under? <laughs> they had to rig that. Crazy, crazy. Um, so we were very wrong. And not only were we wrong about the game, but I guess I'll get your thoughts here in a second, but my thoughts on the whole team have been very much turned around. This is like the first 60 games of the Mariners condensed into a single outing by the Seahawks. I, it's a good I, analogy there. I thought their offense was going to be dynamic and dynamite. I thought their defense was going to be raw, but you know, solid. Um, and from what I saw, their offense is stale and and predictable. And their defense is a mess. And their offensive line is characteristically bad. Um, they did get two of their starting linemen injured in that game, which sucks. Which does not help. Yeah. Um, but yeah, give me your give me your general thoughts from from that. Horrendous, horrendous smackdown by an injured Rams team. Uh, so my, my initial thought is, my, my first thought was, okay, we can defend the offense because they didn't really play together in the preseason. But all 13 points that they scored were in the first half. They didn't Correct. score in the second half. They, they got they, nine yards or whatever it was in the second half. They did not have a slow first half and then warm up. The opposite occurred. Um, and so with that... It's just it's pretty indicative of the defensive adjustments made by the Rams because we were up at halftime. Correct. The defensive and offensive adjustments made by the Rams there um, indicate that the U, they're not the UW team, the Seahawks um, just weren't ready to make those changes. I think they came yeah. into this week not feeling like they should be worried. Yeah, they were the not feeling the pressure. Just put the pressure on them right from the get go in that second half. They you know lit a fire under their bellies and 
got moving. And I just I think that killer instinct that that the Seahawks have had for so many years mm. didn't feel like it was there that second half. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, you're very right. It was a fairly encouraging first half. They're up 13-7, moving the ball a little bit. Second half was an absolute disaster on both sides of the ball. It it, it really is. The first half was like some okay football by the Seahawks and the second half is the worst half of football I think it might be fair to say the worst half of football I've ever seen a Seahawks team play I they were atrocious they literally had they had nine yards in the second half scored zero points and gave up 23 to a team that hasn't had a first round pick in like seven years unbelievable um the biggest culprit or at least the one everyone's pointing fingers at, is Geno Smith. We talked a lot when this contract negotiation was going on. It's like, it's a one-year thing. How much do we want to trust this guy? How much do we want to invest in this guy? What they ended up doing is a deal both of us thought was good. It was a three-year deal at pretty reasonable money. Um, And I I don't think, I don't look back on that with regret after one game. Even if this experiment doesn't pan out, what he showed us last year deserved a three-year deal at moderate money. But yeah. he was 16 at 26 for 112 yards. He completed 16 passes for 112 yards and a touchdown. No picks. Um, What's crazy is, didn't DK have like over 112 yards? He had 47 yards. Oh, why did I think that? You're thinking of Patrick Nakua? Oh. not Maybe not Patrick Nakua. Is it, is it Puka Nakua? Thank you. <laughs> I, I I made his name so much wider than it is. Um, um, no, I, he was on my fantasy team. DK was so I was thinking that all of his points came from him catching a oh, deep ball. I see. Yeah, he, he had just a touchdown, had a touchdown so, and that was it. Yeah, he had a one one point ten point seven fantasy points. Can you? It sounds like you got the stats pulled up. Can you give me the receiving yards for our top three receivers? <laughs> I can. Uh, DK Metcalf went three for five for forty seven yards and a touchdown. Will Disley, our tight end, went two for two for 17 yards. And uh, Dallas. uh, DJ Dallas. Thank you. DJ Dallas went one for one for 14 yards. We then had, oh, this is so bad. Did Tyler Lockett catch a ball? hold, hold, Hold the phone. Look at this. Jackson Smith and Jigba, our touted Ohio State rookie receiver, got on the field, targeted five times. Three receptions for 13 yards. Three receptions for 13 yards. Tyler Lockett. Rocket Lockett, baby. The old Wiley vet. Four targets, two receptions, 10 yards. And so what that's what that's really pointing to, obviously, maybe Geno just had nobody to throw to all game. Maybe it's all the receiver's fault. That's possible. But when you're looking at that, those two guys, two of our top three receivers, nine targets, Five receptions for 23 yards. That shows a hyper-conservative quarterback just taking easy little tiny checkdowns with little chip yardage attached and going nowhere. That's how you score zero points in the second half is by going five for nine for 23 yards. That's really bad. It's it's horrendous. The fact that Tyler Lockett, the guy who Geno Smith's supposed to have this great connection with, had, what was it, 10 yards? 10 yards. That's awful. That's atrocious. Yeah, Lockett. One of one of his worst performances, I think. Uh, and, and I think the combination of even even DK had three three for five. Like yeah. they had what is that? That's eight for fourteen total receptions uh, or you know completions and passes thrown to them, and uh, that's just not good enough. Gino's got to be better at getting the ball to those guys. You can get it to your tight end, and Will Disley can get you six yards, you know, every once in a while. But he shouldn't be your number two receiver. He should not have 17 yards and be your second best receiver. Meanwhile, on the other side, Matt Stafford, vintage game, 334 yards, no touchdowns. But he was awesome. He was really sharp. Sidearm was looking good. I I love few things are more fun to watch than a Matt Stafford sidearm. Um, he's, like we talked about last week, missing one of the best receivers in football, Cooper Cup. <laughs> And he threw the ball, two receivers, Tutu Atwell and Puka Nakua, 23 targets, 16 receptions. They each had 119 yards. So just to clarify, 
Each one of those receivers had seven more yards than Geno Smith <laughs> through four. Their third leading receiver, Tyler Higby, their tight end, had two more yards than our leading receiver, DK Metcalf. Um, yikes. Big, big yikes. They didn't even like run it all over us. Last year, Cam Akers tore up the Seahawks defense, um, and that's how we lost that game. But our, our run defense was actually pretty solid. Akers, 22 rushes for 29 yards. That's, Yuck. Yeah, that's not very good. Their uh, rookie, Williams, or not rookie, but young running back, Kyron Williams, uh, 15 carries for 52 yards and two touchdowns. He was a little bit better, but they only ran for 81 yards. Um, bad, bad defense. Bad yeah. defense. I was looking at the spread of Matt Stafford's passes to kind of see where they were going and kind of how the spread looked. He was throwing a lot of like short slant routes and kind of short to mid-range routes that would get, you know, four to seven yards. Mm-hmm. But if you do that enough times, you're getting first downs and, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, and then he was hitting Nakua on those strikes. Yeah. Nakua and that well. It was just chip, 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 big shot. And those, they were just working their way down. And those were all coming on the right side of the field. And I don't know... I honestly wasn't watching the game. I was in Colorado, but whoever's playing that right cornerback, it needs to be looked at right now because they were giving up those big plays. The left side looked great. The left side was hopefully that wasn't our touted rookie. <laughs> yeah, I think I don't think he's played yet. I think our our rookie cornerback that we got or was it safety? Um, no, keep the corner, corner, corner. Yeah, I don't think he he played in that first game. Why? He was a first round pick. I think he's injured. Oh, that would make sense. Yeah. Um, hopefully he can come back and, and shore up that spot. Shore up that spot. But, you know, we knew that this defense was going to struggle. Um, and we were hoping for, at best, league average. I think that was reasonable to hope for for this defense. Anything more than that, maybe not. Um, this team was supposed to be built around an explosive offense and keeping that defense off the field as much as possible. Considering that we did nothing but punt the entire second half, the fact that we only allowed 30 points, not horrendous. They played a lot of defense that second half. We literally did nothing but punt. Yeah. We had nine total yards. We didn't have we a, didn't get first. a first down. That's, we probably did. No, no, no. That's a better way to say that. I do not believe the Seattle Seahawks got a single first down in the second half of last week's game. Um, so the defense did about as well as I think we could have hoped for under the circumstances. Offensive line, horrible. We couldn't run the ball. Uh, Geno Smith... Bad receivers, obviously not doing a good enough job getting open. Yeah, I think one other side of that is Geno Smith's deep ball probably wasn't as good as he was hoping for because that's where all the big chunks of yardage come from with Geno. Mm. And uh, it sounds like we didn't get any of those. DK, you know, total yardage was 47. Lockett over three catches. Yeah, Lockett absolutely. didn't get anything. Yeah. yeah, we were hoping for Lockett and then Jigba taking these, you know, Lockett down the sideline and Jigba working in the slot, these big chunk plays. Not a single one. I think DK probably had like a... 15-yard pass, and that was the biggest play of the offense. So you're right. We were missing that. Next week, Yeah, Detroit. Let's, let's move on. Let's yeah. talk about Detroit. That's enough. We sucked. Next week, Detroit Lions at Detroit. Detroit Lions coming off a nice win over a Kelsey-less Kansas City Chiefs. And I, whew, I'm shaking in my boots worried. Like, I, uh, <laughs> like this Detroit Lions team might be twice as good as that Los Angeles Rams team. So that means we're going to lose 60 to 7 <laughs> based on that last game. I I am scared. God, I hate to say this. I am scared of the Jared Goff <laughs> Turns out Sean McVay was the problem. <laughs> um it's going to be it's going to be a tough game. We are I think the line's plus 6 for that. Um, which I don't um, think is enough. Yeah, we're going to have a little section coming up. but uh, We've got a new segment for you guys. Yeah, none of us are picking the Hawks plus six. Um, yeah, that's that's tough. Like I said, my perspective has been totally shifted. I'm worried that Gino, you know, he water finds its level. He's We saw what he no, did last year. You've said that year. twice this podcast. He's not going to suck all year, but, you know, maybe last year was a bit of an anomaly in terms of his top potential. Um, offensive line obviously hasn't been addressed. Frustrating. It's never addressed. Um, and this defense may be more civ-like than we anticipated. So, That was, that was a good one. 
I would stay away from that Lions-Hawks game. If you're a Hawks fan, maybe go for a walk. Read a book. Call your mother. Don't watch what happens next week. I The Seahawks are guilty until proven innocent, in my opinion. I uh, My main thought is, you know, two injured linemen on our, for our offensive mm. line, and we're going to need to replace them with, you know, people who haven't been with the offense for very long. Correct. And it's just, I think the offense is going to really struggle. Like, obviously, we didn't score in that second half, and it's probably because Geno didn't have enough time, all that kind of stuff. We didn't really get a good look at the, the metrics for that game. Yes. But I'm sure that, you know, his passes had to be checked down or just, like, thrown into the ground because they were getting so much pressure. Did you see the clip? I'm sorry, this is just kind of random. But did you see the clip of Aaron Donald running at Geno Smith and yelling, <laughs> oh, my God! <laughs> in his defense, I, that is everybody's reaction when Aaron Donald is running at you. Um, so I think I think our offensive line is going to be our weak point for until we can fix it. Like it's just it's going to be rough. Pete Carroll has no interest in addressing it. He never has, and he likely never will. He's too old to worry about things like building a solid offensive line. Um, yeah, I, just worth noting that we are the kings of the overreact. Um, we love getting caught by the swinging door both ways. Um, we were high on the Hawks and they got smacked. I am super, super low on the Hawks. Expect them to win by 13 in Detroit. <laughs> thus, thus is our record. Um, that's really what we're doing. We're just preparing our, preparing ourselves for the Seahawks win is actually what's gonna, what we're doing right now. That's right. Anything else, NFL, you want to touch on before we move on to uh, our new segment? No, let's, let's get the new segment started, John. So uh, credit to this segment, trademarked by Cartwright Industries. Um, but the idea... Came from Carrie, of course. Oh, gosh. Aren't we so adorable? Um, We went to Costco today. We were getting some groceries. Tyler's getting a new desk. Important information. Yeah, well, he was was looking at their amazing hot dog deals. It lit a spark. It's ridiculous how cheap those hot dogs are. But we wanted to do a section where we talk about where we each pick a couple teams to win each week based on the spread. Statistically... Underdogs win, like with the with the spread. Correct. They win more than the. Uh, Correct. Underdogs cover the spread That's in the NFL games fifty three percent of the time, which is a winning margin in gambling. Um, that's because people like to pick the better teams, believe it or not, and they convince themselves that point spreads don't matter. People love to bet the favorites. Nobody more than me. I was looking at all these games, and I was like, favorite, favorite, favorite. <laughs> it's like, oh, God. So what we decided to do is each week, each of us are going to pick three underdogs to cover the spread, and we're calling it <laughs> the zoo. We're calling it the Sound of Seattle value dog segment. <laughs> Let's go. The value dog. So we each got three value dogs for you, and... Uh, We'll keep a running tally as the week goes on, and hopefully at the end of the oh, year. Oh, we're going to keep a running tally as the year goes on and let you guys know at the end who's doing well. Yes. Or who does the best. All the imaginary money we've we've won our listeners. Um, so, yeah, I guess uh, we can just go back and forth. Do you want to pick your first value dog? Yeah, sure. Um, to give everybody a heads up, this week is not looking good for the value dogs. <laughs> 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 Granted, obviously... Statistically, more of them will, will do well. But with my first pick, I'm going to take the Ravens plus three and a half against the Bengals. God damn it. I also have the Ravens plus three and a half against the Bengals. Okay, that's good. That's good. Agreement. Agreement. Bengals looked r- r- rough last week. Um, Joe Burrow, he's my guy. I love him like a brother. He loves me like a brother. He just doesn't know that yet. Um, I'm sure it's just rust. That offense is awesome. Um, Higgins didn't play well. Chase didn't play well. The Browns, have a, the Browns have a great defense. They've got a really solid defense. It was also dumping rain, and they are like a pass-first offense. Like They do not like to rely on Joe Mixon. So really unideal conditions for the Bengals. This is not an overreact on their loss. It's more just the fact that Baltimore... Is good. Yeah, they also have a really good defense. Um, and Lamar is solid. Their running game obviously took a hit, but if you can get the team with a better defense and an explosive quarterback and three and a half points, that's the whole point of this. They're yeah. un- they're underdogs. Yeah. Obviously, maybe Cincinnati's better, but the point is 
what if they win by three? The then side. we win. <laughs> the other side is Cincinnati's kind of a slow start team. The yes. last couple of years they've been, you know, they've been good, but they don't start off super hot. And so with that, you know, second game of the season, Joe Burrow, he really, that was his first game and he was atrocious. It's going to take a little bit more for him to warm up, I think. So that's why we're taking the Ravens plus three and a half. Correct. I, I can already see the McPherson game-winning field goal with seven seconds left. You know, to put them up one. Yeah, Bengals by one or two, and everyone's freaking out. But all the Bengals betters are like, "God damn it!" <laughs> and we're sitting there, Baltimore plus three and a half. Um, well, great. Uh, we were on the same page there. I'm really worried that we're going to go three for three. I feel like we have a similar mind for these sort of things. But with my, I guess first or second pick. Uh, for a value dog. I'm taking the Jacksonville Jaguars plus three against the Kansas City Chiefs. Did you have that one? Uh, I wrote it down as a maybe, but okay. I don't I don't want to take it. The more I think about it, the more I don't like it because Kelsey's coming back. Great. And I think the Chiefs are going to have like a rebound game. Great. I love it. Love to hear it. Yeah, big game for the Chiefs. They do not want to go to 0-2, particularly in that division. By the way, that division... The one everyone's talking about being the best in the NFL. <laughs> Currently and undis- undisputedly led by the Jimmy Garoppolo <laughs> Las Vegas Raiders. So we know who the best team in the AFC is. Um, yeah, Kansas City really, really struggled in that game against Detroit. A lot of drops, obviously, by the receivers were the big story. Detroit pulled it out. Um, but once again, this is not an overreaction to that. Kelsey can come back. The offense is going to be better their receivers almost it would be almost impossible for them to be worse than they were against Detroit I'm expecting Kansas City to be better Chris Jones is still sitting out waiting for that new contract their best defensive player their Aaron Donald is not going to be on the field this Jacksonville Jaguars offense is what Seattle was supposed to be they are they were so good last year in in uh Lawrence's second year and they were so young and exciting and all they did was bring in a super talented receiver in Calvin Ridley who I wasn't sure he would fit fits like a glove he had nine or ten receptions in his first game with Lawrence he was amazing they're making sweet beautiful music Zay Jones still great um I can't even remember who's their best receiver last year what's his name Christian Kirk Christian Kirk he's like a third guy on that offense Travis Etienne looks really good they have Tank Bigsby for goal line work. Evan Ingram at tight end. Their offensive line looks solid. This Jacksonville Jaguars offense is for real. And their defense has a lot of holes. I was going to say. <laughs> but it's got a lot of explosive playmakers, too. They are a total classic boomer bust defense. They get sacks, picks, and they give up touchdowns. That's what this defense does. They remind me a lot of the Miami Dolphins right now. Just give up a lot of points, but score a lot of points. So that way they'll win games. Correct. Yeah, yeah. I Those think Florida that's teams got to stick together. Yeah, so I honestly think this is a case of the Jacksonville offense is just as good, if not better, than Kansas City. Their defense is better when Chris Jones is not on the field. And they're getting three points. And we have to pick a dog. I love points. Give me those points. I... Here's my, my one quick argument against it. Uh, they gave up 30 points to the Colts. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's a good argument. That's a good argument. Seven of those were a fumble return for a touchdown. That should not have been a fumble return for a touchdown. This is coming from a Colts fan. Anthony Richardson looked sharp. Um, he did look pretty good for a rookie. And he was completing a lot of passes. And if Anthony Richardson is completing a lot of passes... Patrick Mahomes may be able yeah, to complete. I think a couple Mahomes passes. is going to look really nice in this game, and that's the only reason I don't have them as my as one of my value dogs. That's totally that's totally fair. Kansas City still win by one or two, but uh, I believe in this Jacksonville team. All right, for pick number two from Tyler, uh, my second value dog, and this might be your third. I'm going to try and go for the one that is not your third, so that you can you know have oh. two picks. No, 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 no. Take the one you want. If we got the same one. This is about. This is a year long thing. That's you true. Don't be giving me pity points early. I mean, you know, the the ones that we have the same will just count as both of our wins. Exactly. Uh, okay. Raiders plus nine and a half against Buffalo. Oh, I love it. That's not mine. Oh, good. Okay. Buffalo looked pretty freaking bad against the yeah. Jets. Yeah, that's you know that's not mine, but it is a good one. Um, first and foremost on that, nine and a half points is a lot of points. Yeah. 
That's a lot of points. The Raiders also looked really good this week. They won. They're the only AFC team, AFC West team to win the game. Correct. They beat Denver in a little bit of a messy game. But Denver's defense is solid. Yeah. Garoppolo looked sharp. Devontae Adams wasn't even that good. We were talking about Devontae Adams. He's, you know, one of the elite receivers over the last decade, and he still looks great. He's a Hall of Fame receiver, and he had a pretty mediocre game by his standards. So he should be even better against Buffalo. And Garoppolo can get the job done. I think that's the, yeah. that's the thing that people are missing. Is He's not yeah. Sam Darnold. He's not no. Zach Wilson. No, he makes smart decisions. He was so sharp. He started the game like 11 for 11 on passing for like 87 yards. Like he's he's like a good Geno Smith. He's he's checking down, but he's always hitting the guys. Um, and, and the Bills don't have any sort of offense that they seem like they could generate against the Jets. It's just it's just Josh Allen taking shots down the seam to Stephon Diggs and Gabriel Davis. It's all they do. Yeah, and get a little predictable. And when he hits it, obviously they're touchdowns and they're these big explosive plays, but. He threw three picks against the Jets? Yeah. Four picks? It was bad. Um, yeah, Raiders' defense isn't anything to write home about. Buffalo could bounce back, but 9.5 is a lot. They, a can, lot of points. they can win by seven. They can win by a touchdown and still not cover that bet. So I think that's reasonable. Yeah, I was really excited about that one. One other thing on the Raiders. Josh Jacobs, last year's leading rusher in the NFL, didn't have that good of a game week one either, you know? they Their offense... They won the game, and their offense can really only be better than it was this last week. And I think, you know, the the Bills gave up 19 points to the Jets. Granted... With Zach Wilson being thrown onto the field. Yeah. Aaron Rodgers, we should mention this. Aaron Rodgers threw one pass for the New York Jets. He went 0 for 1 and then tore his Achilles. Oh, my God. That is insane. He is... After all the hype... All the stories. All the hard knocks. There is a chance that he will play one career. He will throw one career pass for the New York Jets and not complete it. Do you think there's enough animosity at the Packers that he'll go to go into the Hall of Fame as a Jet? <laughs> <laughs> that would be that would be the funniest thing ever. Um, but yeah, I like that one. I like that one a lot, even though it wasn't my pick. With my third pick, I guess do you, you only have two. I've got one more. Yeah. Okay. If, if, if it's not the one that you that you got. Okay. Yeah. We'll see here. For my third pick, I'm taking the Minnesota Vikings. It was that yours? No. Okay. Thank you. Wow. Goodness. We're really different. This yeah. Week. I'd love to see it. I, we got one. That that just shows we're on the same page. Yeah. Minnesota Vikings plus seven against the Philadelphia Eagles. Um, Philadelphia was confusing. In their first game, they were up 16-0 and absolutely stomping the Patriots. Defense looked great. Offense was moving the ball. And then things stalled. And there was about a quarter and a half of not really anything happening other than punts back and forth. And then Mac Jones ended up throwing for like 280 yards and three touchdowns against this vaunted Philadelphia Eagles defense. Um, I do think the Eagles defense is great. Uh, And I believe their offense is going to bounce back. But Minnesota had a very disappointing week one. They just didn't look sharp at all. Yeah. And they're getting seven points in this game. That Minnesota offense is for real. It's, it's lethal. They've got Justin Jefferson. They've got, uh, what is it, Van Addison or something? Uh, Jordan Addison Jordan is the Addison. rookie. Um, and then they've got TJ Hawkinson. Like, they've got elite weapons. Yes. Obviously, Kirk Cousins is not an elite quarterback, but he does. He just needs to get them the ball. Correct. And he's good at that. He's good at... He, I mean, Jefferson had like 130 yards. Oh, trust just, me. I'm, I'm aware. He's on my fantasy team. Just right back on track. Um, and their defense is so-so. I mean, the Eagles, I think their, their offense is going to get back on track against this Vikings defense. But I believe in this Vikings offense and its ability to stay in the game. And when you're betting on dogs, you're not looking for winners. You're looking for guys who want to screw up the win for the other guys. And garbage time touchdowns. I am seeing Minnesota leading a touchdown drive at like four minutes of the fourth quarter to go up like three. And then Jalen Hurts leads a game-winning drive for the Eagles to score with like 30 seconds left. And everyone's like, oh, Eagles back on track. What a great game. And all the betters are scratching their heads saying, wait, that didn't cover. Uh, And that's what I'm going for. Give me the Vikes. Nice. I like it. I, I Yeah, I really expect the Vikings to bounce back offensively. They didn't have a great offensive game. Um, and they didn't really get Hawkinson the ball much, I think, no. last, last no. week. Um, 
So Addison either, other than that one big touchdown. Yeah, I think I think this the dispersion of the passes is just going to be that much better this yeah. next week. First game always rough. Yep. Um, my last value dog, my last Sound of Seattle value dog is. The Chicago Bears plus three against the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. I was looking at it. I was looking at it. Uh, I just don't think Tampa Bay is good. I don't know why they're getting three points. It's probably just because it's at home. But they won. Tampa Bay's one and zero. Chicago's zero and one. Yeah, but Tampa Bay. There's. I just don't see them being three points better than the Bears. Like Justin Fields still could only throw three passes, and all three of those could score a touchdown, and they'll have twenty-one points. Like I just think the Bears' offense. No matter how stagnant it is, it just has that explosive play in it, and I'm 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 excited to look for the explosive plays, and I really think the Bears could win this game. Like I don't think Baker Mayfield's good. Yeah, Baker. Gosh, what a confusing guy. I want to love Baker, and I kind of do love Baker, but you're right, he's probably not good. We certainly have evidence that he's probably not good. Yeah. But then he'll just do these things. He'll have these good games. Um, I think that's the thing. He had his good game, and now it's over. <laughs> They do have a talent, talent Tampa Bay on offense. They still have Godwin and Evans. Um, I thought Evans might not play, but he's playing, so that helps. Their defense is sparse, but they've got playmakers on that Tampa Bay defense. But I agree with you. I was looking at it. Justin Fields really looked pretty mediocre that first game. I believe in him to have a big bounce back. He needs to get DJ more the ball. He needs to use his legs a little more. Stop hucking balls up to Darnell Mooney. Um, and yeah, I agree with you. I think Bears could be primed for a big bounce back here. This is a classic Bears undervalued, Buccaneers overvalued case. And just like a Bears quick bounce back game, yeah. get to one and one. Yep. Keep them in the division race. And the Bears can't beat Green Bay. A blood sacrifice was made in in Wisconsin many years ago. We can't talk about that on this podcast, but it's actually impossible for the Bears to beat Green Bay. So uh, this is really their first game of the year. So that that'll be exciting. <laughs> Uh, is that all? That's all your value dogs too, right? That's all my value dogs. There are your value dogs for week two of the NFL season. Eat them up. Take that information as you will, and you will uh, hopefully you'll win some money if you're betting on these games. Much like a Costco hot dog, if you walk past this opportunity, you're just leaving money on the table. <laughs> Eventually, Costco is going to sponsor this podcast. Mariners just lost four in a row. It's currently. Tuesday at 11.41 p.m. on September 12th. They just beat... All is not well. They just beat the Angels 8-0 to on a Brian Wu start after we called him out last week. John, what does this mean? <laughs> it means that our reverse jinxes remain undefeated. It's incredible, our reverse jinx capabilities. Calling out Brian Wu, he has one of his best starts of the year. Scoreless through... Five and two-thirds. Five and two-thirds is what he played. Um, eight, eight strikeouts, four yeah. hits... Really, really sharp. Total control. Look good out there. Fastball. The speed was staying up on it. No walks. No walks. Just the opposite of everything that we'd said about him. And not only that, <laughs> but in the last conversation, we said the AL West is gone. Throw it away. Whoa, we. You agreed with me. You know, you don't get to disown this. It was my idea, but you agreed with me. Um, because the Astros had just such an easy schedule. And then they lose back-to-back games to the Oakland Athletics, the worst team in baseball. Um, And just like that, the Mariners are a game and a half behind the Astros for first in the West, a game behind Texas. Uh, We are currently third in the wild card, tied with the Blue Jays with the tiebreaker. Um, Like I said, Houston lost two in a row. Texas and the Blue Jays have split the last two games of their series head-to-head. so, I guess, what does that mean? Because we have still lost four of five, and in the month, the month is not looking good. Yeah. We lost three of four against the Rays, and two of those were comebacks by the Rays where we had the lead and kind of gave it away. Um, yeah, it, it hasn't looked great. Uh, yeah, we've done four and eight in our last 12. Yuck. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't feel good, doesn't look good, but... I think this was this was kind of a turning point game, to be honest. It felt like it. It was it was a dominant uh, start to finish affair. Eight zero. It didn't all come in one inning. It was three, and then it was five, and we were just click 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 working our way up while staying stout defensively. So it, it was a healthy game. Mm-hmm. I think uh, 
Yeah, when you just get contributions throughout the lineup, I feel like everybody was getting on base, and that's kind of the baseline, is people just being on base creates pressure against pitchers. Uh, was it Sandoval who was pitching against us today? I think he looked a little like worse for wear. Like He gave up six, I think, through four, and that was just... That was kind of it for him. Um, yeah, Sandoval, rough, rough start. He was giving up a lot of hits. Um, so yeah, one more game against the Angels, and then the Dodgers roll into town. That series will be telling. Getting one of those would be huge. Then we have the Athletics, and we finish on that big AL West tear that we've already discussed. So yeah, since we last talked, yeah, they've gone one and one, so it's not like anything crazy has happened record-wise. Um, it was encouraging this win today. We are actually talking about how big this game was today. The, the game yesterday was also big, but going in today, it's like, oh, they can't lose this game. If yeah. they lose back-to-back games against the Angels to lose five in a row, then this is something else. The fact that they won today... Back on track to a certain degree. I guess nothing proven. The Dodgers series will be big. We need Houston to keep struggling against mediocre competition. And we need the Blue Jays and the Rangers to keep uh, getting beat up. Yeah. I think, you know, we're kind of at the same point we were at last week. And so what I want to do is move to what uh, what was said by George Kirby this that after his last start the other yeah day. yeah there was that so he pitched seven innings was that against uh that was against tampa bay he went into the seventh i don't think he finished the inning because he gave up a home run as his last hit um yeah he started he was through he was at 93 pitches through six and uh after the game so he went out he went back out for the seventh and got i think he gave up a hit and a home run um and after the game, so he got pulled after that. And after the game, he was talking to the media and was pretty visibly frustrated with the way that he, uh, the way that he pitched, and kind of called out Scott Service and said basically that he didn't think he should have gone out for the seventh. Um, and a lot of people took that as a kind of non-competitive type attitude. Um, and yeah, it just kind of spun the wrong way. A lot of pitchers like. You know, from the 2000s, I think Roger Clemens commented on it. Jared Weaver commented on it, and it was just like uh, it was. It was a big deal in baseball because it was such an obvious call out for from from a player to kind of the management staff. Yeah, yeah, that was it. Was interesting, um, and I think definitely a case of better left unsaid. <laughs> with that being said, I'm not sure that I disagree with him. Um, we're no longer in the era of the Roger Clemens. We don't want pitchers going nine innings. We just don't. If the guy's not chasing like a no-hitter, there's no reason for a guy to go nine in- innings anymore. Um, we just know too much about how much it affects the health and affects the elbow. Um, we want these guys lasting into the postseason, not just this year, but for years to come. Nine-inning starting pitching is just not the game anymore. Uh, and he's already done that once this year and yes. it didn't go well for him. Correct. And and nobody, you know, these guys know their bodies. We were just talking about, obviously, obviously Wu making us look silly today, but one of the things with him is as the innings mounted, you could see his fastball slowing. Yeah. You could see the velocity coming down. Guess what? He is also aware of that. He's the one throwing the ball. There's no way he's like, oh, that one was just as fast. You know? They know when things are starting to slip. They know when it's starting to hurt a little more and they're getting a little less zip on it. Um, I think that's just George Kirby kind of being self-aware, you know? Yeah. And yeah. it's, yeah, it's not the most competitive thing I ever heard, but why was he out there? Yeah, you throw 93 pitches, are you expecting him to get through that inning in 10? We, we were just talking about Wu being super efficient through four at 55 pitches today. Correct. And that's, you know, that's kind of a very efficient start is getting maybe 12 pitches in an inning. Exactly. It's just so hard to push your arm when you're at this point of the season. And obviously, you know, we need these long starts for our bullpen, but you got to take a guy, you know, it's the sixth. He's gotten through the sixth. You got three guys in your bullpen who you should trust yeah. to get you through those last three innings. And I just, I think if Kirby's, if Kirby is a guy who's like, oh no, I'm starting to feel it go. I would like to be pulled now, please. I think that's like, okay. You should trust your guys. And granted, maybe they hadn't talked. Exactly. That yeah. That's, that's fair. Maybe they hadn't talked, but you're right. You should trust your guys. If... 
your guy's, you know, pissing vinegar, and he's like, no, 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 let me stay, let me stay. If he shures her refusing to come off the mound, like, okay, let him take another crack at it, you know? But if your pitcher comes to you and is like, hey, like, can we get some help out here? I would like to be done. I've thrown 93 pitches, and I think my best stuff is behind me. I think you have to pull him. So if there was a conversation, I would actually say that service made a mistake there. Yeah, and I think that was something that was probably discussed after the game and the media caught George Kirby at the wrong time or in the wrong place. And he was frustrated. Yeah. He is a competitor. Nobody likes giving up. Gave up a home run to tie the game. It's tough to do that and, you know, that be your last hitter. Like, it's tough to work through that. Um, I got my butt kicked at Catan yesterday. Excuses all game. All I do when I'm losing is make excuses. It's an easy thing to do, and I'm I'm not going to blame Kirby for stooping as low as I sometimes stoop. Yeah. I... He's George Kirby. He's our probably our best pitcher. I, I think I'm I'm on that boat. I would want six innings from him more than six innings from anybody else on our roster. Yeah. And so he's going to be great. He's going to continue to be great for this team for years to come. And I just think, you know, this is one blow up. He'll move past it. He'll probably be dominant in his next start. He's also young. Why yeah. don't we give him a break for saying something stupid? I've said much stupider things at much older ages than George Kirby. All right. We got that off our chest. I feel good about it. Whew. Let's let me just let me just talk this talk this through with you. Julio. Mm. Since August fourth, mm. which is thirty six games. We thought it was like twenty five, it's thirty six games. Is hitting four fourteen with a slugging percentage of like seven seventy nine. He's hit thirteen home runs, mm. nineteen multi hit games. He's currently at thirty home runs. There's, Chasing that bet down like a deer. There's uh, 17 games left. If he stays on this pace, he will hit 36 home runs. Yeah. <laughs> You're like Vegas, man. I just I just want to point it out to you so that you can feel your demise coming. Only if he stays this hot, which obviously I would love to happen. He's been awesome. He's been lights out. I think any talk of him not finishing second in the MVP race is out the window. I don't know who else it would be. It kind of has to be Julio. Uh, for that number two spot behind Shohei. We even, before the show, had a brief discussion on whether or not he could overtake Shohei with the injury. And I think the consensus we came to is, no, Shohei played too many games and hit <laughs> too many dingers to be uh, come back a bull. But, uh, but so Julio has more doubles. He's got more hits, like more total hits. Um, Shohei's been walked double the amount of times that Julio's been walked. He also was hit... <laughs> 10 more home runs. <laughs> um, 14 Sho- more home runs. 14 more home runs at this point. Uh, Shohei has 10 less stolen bases, but I think statistically they're pretty even on the hitting side. And then you just add the fact that Shohei Otani is a starting pitcher, and that kind of puts him out of the level of MVP talk. That, and if he'd played all 162, he might have finished with like 55 home runs. Yeah, which he he's technically not done hitting. He's still He's still hitting. Um, I thought he wasn't playing. He might... I don't know. He's still... He might be in surgery after the season. I'm not sure when that's happening. Okay. I, um, I haven't seen him play these last couple days. Yeah, he might be... He, they might have called it off, but last I heard, he was still hitting and just not pitching anymore. Okay. Um, but just... Julio's been amazing, and I want to point that out. Teoscar has been amazing. We were talking about that today. Correct. Uh, really awesome. worth the contract and worth the trade, even though there was a lot of talk about trading him during the season and right before the trade deadline, he was worth giving up Eric Swanson and... Uh, Absolutely. Yeah. yeah and he has been the bright spot of this cold streak. We, Like I said, we've lost four of five or five of six, but he is on a seven or eight game on-base streak. So he's been really consistent. Can't blame him. Yeah, Teo's been awesome. And uh, I think the guys are starting... Like, you know, the guys obviously love the veteran presence. And he's grown on me, too, which, which what can I say? I appreciate it. I like him, too. Um, anything else you want to say before we wrap up? I think I think that's good. We can, we finished up quick, which I'm proud of us. Um, we could have talked for another 25 minutes on the Mariners if we really wanted to. So, so easy. We'll have more to say on the Mariners next time, hopefully with a little more context as these round of series wrap up and the Dodgers series gets underway. Yeah. I'm, I might be going to the game on Friday. That would be cool to see a Dodgers game. That would be very cool. Um, with that, for John Carey, I'm Tyler Cartwright, and this has been Sound Up Seattle. 
If you enjoyed this podcast, please feel free to give us a follow on Spotify or Apple Podcasts. Uh, you can find Sound Up Seattle on Twitter, TikTok, and Instagram, all at Sound Up Seattle, all lowercase, all one word. You can find me, Tyler, at TyCard50, anywhere that's important. And you can email soundupseattle at gmail.com if you have any uh, questions, comments, or uh, things you want us to talk about. Obviously, we haven't gotten any of those. Otherwise, we probably would have brought it up immediately on this pod <laughs> because we would be so excited. <laughs> um, you can find John... Currently, I think he's watching The Great British Baking Show. Hey, it's classy. <laughs> um, but I'm sure he will be just chugging away at work as the rain begins to come. And, uh, oh, he's going. you're going to South Carolina soon, aren't you? Yes, sir. That's going to be fun. Um, with that, we hope you have a great uh, great rest of your week. And I guess let's go. Let's go. Ho- yeah, Hawks. Fuck it. Go Hawks. Let's go dogs. <laughs> <laughs>